But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your truth, your word is truth, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Thanks. Thanks, David. Just to let you know, this mic picks up a lot, man. A little closer, you're just going to start kissing it. So... Let's make sure we Lysol this later, all right, guys? Um, I also wanted to do a shout-out. Welcome home, Arena. Welcome back, sister. Um, she's not coming back for good. She's just visiting, just to not get everyone's hopes up. But welcome back. We missed you. It's so good to have you. So we're finishing up our series on identity, and this is week three. And what we've been trying to pound home is what you believe you ultimately do. What you believe you ultimately do. Being precedes doing. But oftentimes, being is abstract. It's hard. To, to ask questions of who am I? Who, who am I at the core is, is hard to get at. What do I truly believe about myself, about God, about others, and about my purpose and mission? These questions are high. And so we avoid them often in the church. And so we spend time just trying to dress you up to do the right things. Do these things. Rather than focusing on who you are and letting that overflow into what you do. And if you get that order mixed, it has catastrophic results for the church. And we had an order that was very purposeful. We, week one talked about we are a beloved family. And then last week we said that we are what? Servants. And then this week, and that would have been bad if no one said anything, Daniel. Everyone's like, uh, uh. Um, consumers? Uh, just kidding. Uh, and then this week, we're talking about we are missionaries. And that order is purposeful because at, at the core, we're not a community that's just doing. We're a community that first have received. We've received the good news, the greatest news. And that has transformed us. We have been adopted into a family. The Trinity has welcomed us uh, kindly into their family, their eternal family. And now we're family because of this love that God has brought us in. And it was only through his adoption and through his, the death of his son. And then secondly, we talked about we are servants. And so therefore, Jesus served us. He served people day to day. And he did the ultimate act of service with the very, uh, his very life. And so as Jesus served, we want to serve. And as we understand our identity as a family, a beloved family, and that we serve one another, that will create an irresistible loving, compelling family that is worth inviting into. That, that people see the gospel, not only in word, but also in deed, demonstrated in the way we take care of one another and do life together. And so that's why we're now finally on week three. Now, if I were to pull the average Christian and bring up the words like mission or evangelism, the kind of reactions that usually come up are anxiety, fear, disappointment, shame, oh man, like that's an area that I just don't like. If you were to pull the average Christian pastor, 
they would probably say something like, you know, the two hardest things I have to do to get my people to do, like the two areas that are hardest for me to get my people to walk into is evangelism, and then what do you think the second one would be? Giving. Yeah, yeah, giving. Thanks. One person said that. Thank you. Those are usually the hardest, and, and I would, would add to that prayer often too. But, but I share that to say that this is actually very controversial. For me to say that you are fundamentally a missionary because of what Christ has done is actually quite controversial, and for many people, um, outright just makes no sense. And so I hope that through this message, as we go through the word, you see that this is God's word for you. This is God's reality for you. See, the main point of the sermon is, as Jesus has, was sent to the world, so are we. As Jesus was sent to the world, so are we. And remember, don't mix up the order. As Jesus was sent to the world, so are we. And so let's jump into this because this is a treasure trove of joy and purpose in a world that has no purpose and is lacking joy. And so many Christians view this area as something that is a pain and something that they want to avoid. And in fact, they're avoiding joy. They're avoiding life. They're avoiding purpose. And I hope that you can see that in the scriptures with us. So here's where we're going. Here's kind of the uh, outline of where we're going. Um, first, we're going to look at our pattern. Remember, we can't mix the order. We want to look at Jesus first. Our pattern is Jesus was a missionary. And then we want to uh, look at our purpose. Because Jesus was a missionary, we are now sent like Jesus. And finally, this is an impossible thing he's calling to us. And so we need to look at our power, which is Jesus' spirit. And then after we go over these three hours, um, we're going to now talk about how we should now live in light of all this. Now, I want to be very clear. I, um, w like a surgeon, cut like 800 uh, to 1,000 words from my sermon, and I put it for the midweek podcast. Uh, we, were, we had another point called our protection, which goes into a lot of the language in this passage on sanctifying and consecrated and being set apart because of the word. And if you're like, Sam, you're not covering that, check out the midweek. And we're going to talk a lot about more uh, practical things in the midweek podcast, so you don't want to miss it. So as you know, we're in John 17. And as David um, wisely said, John 17, the scene is Jesus is praying to his father. He's praying to his father. And it's just minutes, maybe, moments before Jesus is going to suffer sufferings that we can't even begin to fully imagine. That Jesus would go through, for about the next 24 hours, he would suffer as if all he ever did was wrong his whole life. He would be punished as if he was the greatest scum of the world. Except he was the one who's only ever done right, never did wrong. And you can learn a lot about a person's last prayers, because Jesus knew the time was coming. There's a reason why shortly after this prayer, he is sweating drops of blood. The very capillaries in his, his head are bursting because of the stress and anguish. And so Jesus knows that the guards are going to be coming, and he knows that his friends are going to betray him, and he's going to be left alone, and Satan's going to have a field day with his emotions and his hearts and heart and his fears. And so... This is the context, and Jesus is going to pray. And, and I just want to say, this chapter is one of the most glorious passages in the Bible, 15 through 17. And I, there's so much I'm cutting and so much I want to get into, and I just encourage you to spend time in these passages. So today we're going to be highlighting mainly Jesus' mission and the mission he entrusted us. Now, before we jump in, 
address one common pushback that many can have, and that's this. Well, Sam, this passage, Jesus is praying for the apostles, the 12 apostles. So these things do not really apply to me. Now, you would be right to say that you are not one of the 12 apostles. However, if you kept reading in the rest of this chapter, verse 20 says this. I do not ask for these only, and it will be on the screen, but also for those who will, will believe in me through their word. Do you follow that? I do not ask for these only, these people, these disciples who are near me and praying with me, but also for those who will believe in me through the, their word. So you know who's the will be's? We're the will be's. You're the will be's. Because of the disciples perpetuating the word, and you also see this in the Great Commission, we are now recipients of the very message and purpose and calling that the disciples were originally given. So if you look at this and you're like, oh, I want to squirm out of this, maybe this was, oh, I want to be a good, hermene- uh, good uh, expositor, and, and it was actually contextually for them. No, 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 it's for you. Jesus had you in mind also. So everyone is on the hook. Just imagine you're just now on the hook. So let's look at our pattern. Jesus the missionary. Verse 18. We're going to start here. We're going to be skipping around a little bit. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this, As you sent me to the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay? So remember, Jesus is speaking to the Father. So remember, the Father has sent the Son into the world, and now, now that Jesus' mission is about to be complete, he is now entrusting that same mission to others, and they're going to go. Now, we're going to talk about more about the latter half, so I've sent them to the world in a minute, but let's just talk about this first half about Jesus being sent to the world. Now, the word sent, or the word mission that we usually get for missionary or missions, is actually coming from the Latin word missio. And you know what missio means? Sent. Just sent. So if someone says, hey, I'm a missionary, they're basically saying, I'm a sent one. And so, although this passage doesn't say that Jesus was a missionary, it actually is saying he was a missionary because he was sent. He was a sent person going from one context to another. So Jesus left his throne at the right hand of the Father to come to what? What does the passage say? He is being sent to what? The world. Notice this word, world. If you were to read all of chapter 17, you would may find some confusions if you read carefully. Because the word world doesn't always mean the same thing throughout this whole passage. And that is very, very important for you to know as a Bible study tip. Words in one context mean something. In another context, they can mean something completely different. And the only way you know is the word is is by context. And in this section... You're going to see that world is sometimes spoken in a very general way, like all the world. And then sometimes John uses Jesus' language uh, of world to speak about the world that is in rebellion to Jesus, rebellion to his kingdom and his ways. And this is so, so important as you study the Bible to never make this word fallacy where people will say, well, the Strong's Dictionary says this word means seven different things. And therefore, they'll just pick whatever meaning they think should fit whatever they're trying to say. So that if you want to know what a word means, go to the source and figure out what it's saying within the context. Because what does bear mean? It can mean a bear. 
It can mean, let me bear your burdens. It can mean different things. And you can't just be like, well, Strong's Dictionary says bear means an animal. And so when Jesus says bear one of your burdens, you can also think about an animal. Right? Do you see the ludicrous of that? How ludicrous? But I, I'm doing this side note. It has nothing to do with this message because a lot of people make this mistake. And as you read the Bible or you hear teaching online or a podcast, be careful because people do this and run with it like crazy. So in this passage, world is going to be associated with the general world and also the world that's in rebellion towards Jesus' kingdom. So what, what did Jesus do? He came to the world and he came for us. He rescued us. He crossed the chasm between heaven and earth. Can you imagine, if you were to go to another country to learn a new language, eat new food, adopt new customs, that's a big jump, but that's nearly, not nearly as big, big of a jump as Jesus made. Leaving the very throne, the perfection itself, to imperfection. Beauty to brokenness. I mean, the chasm Jesus crossed to come to earth, is the, he's the ultimate missionary. He's the ultimate cross-cultural missionary, coming and incarnating and becoming one of us, eating like one of us, suffering like one of us. No one has crossed a bigger gap like Jesus, and he did it for us, which ultimately glorifies God because of his, what this says about this God. Who is this God like? Now, I want to make a side note for us when we think about missions and we think about evangelism. This is really important. Notice that Jesus leaves his context and goes to another's to rescue them, to bring light to them. But yet, often in the American church, what we do is we try to do the opposite. You see? You see, what we do is we try to get people to come to ours. Hey, our church is doing a trick or trunk. Come to our church. Or our church, we're doing this cool little thing. Can you come to our place? We're going to have a Bible study. Can you come to us? And what, we, what we try to do is instead of following the ma our master's plan, his pattern of going to them and going to where they're at, we try to get them to come to us and get them to cross cultures to come and meet us, to get them to accommodate to us. You guys see that? I'm not saying they should never, you should never invite people here. But that shouldn't be our primary focus. We should figure out ways to go to where people already are, like Jesus. I mean, think about this. Who here would feel uncomfortable if tomorrow we would go to a mosque or next week we would go to a Hindu temple? Who would feel uncomfortable with that? One person? Five people? Okay. Almost everyone, right? That would be kind of uncomfortable to go to a Hindu temple. We were like, oh, I don't know. That's exactly what we're telling people. People have no idea what we're doing here. In the post-Christian world, like... We, we talk about being washed in the blood. You know how weird that sounds to the world? And yet we try to get them to cross cultures to come to us rather than go where they're at. All right, rant over. Now, what are we sent for? What's the purpose? Well, within the immediate context of John 17, there's some really great clues. What's the purpose of Jesus being sent to the world? Let's go to one of the most famous passages in the Bible, John 3, 16 through 17. All right, you can flip over there. It'll be also on the screen. Why did Jesus come to the world? Well, verse 16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send, notice that word send, his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather in order that the world might be saved through him. Unlike many that we know who make empty promises and declarations of love, Jesus shows and demonstrates his love. 
He's not just, oh, I love you so much. I will show you my love. The father doesn't say, say I just love you guys, but I'm going to leave you in your mess and your muck and your brokenness. No, he said, I love you so much, and I love you that I'm going to send the most precious treasure I have. Jesus, my son. I can't give you something better. Nothing is better. Nothing is more valuable to me than my son. Jesus and the father, they don't just talk. They walk it. They show it. And why did he give his son? So that whoever believes in this son should not perish, but have eternal life. I hope that is sweet to you, even though you may have heard that many times. For God did not send the son to condemn the world, but to save it. So, what is the world being saved from, according to this passage? Perishing, which is a word that we don't really use. But in other words, it's basically eternal separation from the Father. If the, if the contrast, if the flip side is eternal life within Christ, with the Father forever, the flip side of it is eternal life away from the Father and receiving the due just punishment of rebellion, rebelling against him. And so let me take a mi minute to just address anyone in this room who does not know if this is true of them. Because there's only two types of people in this room right now. I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but it is true. There's only two types of people in this room. Those, those who are, going, are perishing right now and will forever be damned to be separated from God and receive every shameful punishment you ever deserved, and those who deserve that but receive grace and mercy in Christ forever and ever. There's only two types of people in this room right now. But God made a way, if you look at this passage, so that you could be saved. He made a way that anybody, anybody, will not have to perish if they want life. See, note this word, whosoever. Do you guys see this word, whosoever? Whoever? This word, whoever, it's not a word that we use often, but whoever is, is anybody, anybody who wants it. And you might say, but, but, but you don't know my past, whoever, whoever. You don't know my family, whoever. You don't know what I just did last night, whoever. If you want life, if you want salvation, anyone can have it. Isn't that such good news? It's not a whole criteria of all these things you have to jump through. You have to look the right way, act the right part. You have to have the right blood. Anybody who wants him can have him. If you want life, life is right here. And you can only have it through the Son. If you want to be right with God, you have to get right with God. And the only way to do that is through the Son and your forgiveness of your sins. Unless your sins are forgiven, you cannot have life with God. And so if you have questions about that, Come talk with us. We don't leave tonight not sure if you have peace with God. If you have not received the Son, you can have him if you want. Now, let's get back to our pattern. This is Jesus' mission that he showed us to save the world. He was sent for this purpose. Now, let's look further to Jesus. Look at verse 19 in chapter 17. We're flipping back to John 17. As for their sake, speaking of his people, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This word consecrate is in the same word family as the word sanctified. So what does it mean to be consecrated or sanctified? That sounds very religious and really holy, right? Sanctified. I'm consecrated. And most people are like, I don't know what that means, but let's just say it because it sounds good, right? What the heck are we saying when we say consecrated and sanctified? Well, 
Um, sanctify is basically saying that you are set apart for a purpose. It, it does mean that you're holy and you're, you're clean and you're, you're morally walking, but, but it, that's more as a result of being set apart. D.A. Carson, he's a well-known scholar, puts it this way. If someone, he puts it this way. All right. He doesn't put it this way. If someone is set apart for God, this is what he's, yeah, and God's purposes alone, that person will do only what God wants and hate all that God hates. This is what it means to be holy as God is holy. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I am fully yours, God, to your purposes, your plans, I'm yours. And he's set apart. And later on in the, the passage, he's going to call other people to follow his example. But I want you to know that Jesus set his mind to fully be committed to Jesus, God, his Father's agenda and his purpose. And he calls us to do likewise. So the first point that we talked about is our pattern. Jesus is our pattern. He is the missionary that we look to. And because Jesus is our pattern, his way is our purpose. So let's look at our second purpose. Our, purpose, our second point, our purpose is sent like Jesus, if you're taking notes. Sent like Jesus. Let's look back at verse 18. We spent a lot of time on the first half. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. It's the second half. So what Jesus was sent to do to the world, he now wants to do through us. So as Jesus was sent to the world, so are we. Can you just repeat that with me? I'm going to say it again slowly. As Jesus was sent to the world, so are we. One more time. As Jesus was sent to the world, so are we. Jesus gave the way. Now we are witnesses of the way. We don't have to now do what he did in the same way, like we don't all have to go die for people's sins. Jesus already did that. And so now we are witnesses of the way and what he did. We are testifying for what he has done for us and for the world. And so we have been saying this over and over again. What God has done to us, he now wants to do through us. And if you, have, if you claim Christ, you're saying that Jesus came for you. And so you need to receive this, that he wants to now do that through you. It doesn't stop with you. It goes through you. The mission of the church that we have is not our own mission. It's actually Jesus' mission that we are continuing. Let me ask you this question. A lot of kids ask this question. Maybe you've asked this question before. Why don't we just get beamed up to heaven right when we become a Christian? Wouldn't that be so nice? Amen? That would be nice. Well, if you think about it, well, you would never have anyone to witness to other people. But the reason why you're not gone is because the mission hasn't been fulfilled. You are still on this earth Sucking up breath, eating up resources, <laughs> because you have a purpose that has not been fulfilled. In a world that is groping for purpose, here's your purpose. You have a purpose. You are still alive for a purpose. If you are still taking up breath and your heart is still beating, you still have a purpose that is yet to be fulfilled. I hope that's comforting. So just as Jesus has been sent Jesus has been sent to the world, so have you. And I know I'm sounding repetitive, but I'm going to sound even more repetitive because this is something that we all have to receive. Some of you don't believe this. 
You have been sent. Every Christian here has been called to be sent to the world to cross cultures and be a witness of the way. But how in the world do we do, we do this? I mean, if you think about this, Jesus is saying, hey, this is what I did, now you do what I did. Have you guys ever stood behind someone in, in a line for like a, a, a diving board? And I'm not the most acrobatic person, and have you guys ever been in that scene where the, first per- the person in front of you does like some crazy, crazy twist and a flip? And then you're like, uh, have you ever seen this one? You know, cannonball, right? Like no one's seen that, right? right. It, imagine you're standing behind somebody, and they're like, hey, watch me. And they do like 50 flips, like they're hovering in air. And then they do this perfect Olympic dive. And then they rise back up and they say, hey, Sam, just do what I just did. You're like, I, I don't even know how to swim. You know, like that, that, that's kind of the situation we're in. Jesus has done the impossible. And now he's like, all right, come on, guys, just do what I did. It's easy. It's easy. Right? And so we need Jesus' power. We can't just look at his pattern and we can't just own his purpose. We have to have his power. Because he's called us to do the very impossible. And so let's look at four passages that all tie the mission and the spirit together. We're going to go over four passages really quickly. And I know some of you guys will be, oh, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. We don't have time for that. But I want you to listen carefully as we go over these passages and look for repeated themes. Look what is highlighted over and over again. All right, let's look at John 15, 26 through 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's look at John 20 now. John 20 is a repetition of John 17, but he says it in a little different way. John 20. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I think the next one is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And finally, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You guys have seen this, heard it over and over again. But notice he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, and, notice this, note this, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Are you guys noticing some patterns here? Jesus isn't just calling us to do something we can't do. He's giving us the very Spirit to fulfill the mission that he's called us to do. He's given us his presence and his power. He's not calling us to go on the mission alone. He said, I'll be right with you. I'll be right with you. You know, I've heard some pastors say, how sweet would it be to be an evangelist when Jesus was alive on the earth? Just be like, hey, meet my friend Jesus right here. But we have that because the spirit is alive in us, empowering us. He has not left us alone. He's given us his spirit. And if you think about even Ephesians 3.20, it says, he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power that is what? At work in us. It's the spirit that's doing this stuff. So some of you, you need to hear me. Some of you keep looking at yourself and you need to stop because it's, you're not going to be confident by looking at yourself. You're not going to be like, well, I'm so eloquent or I'm so well read or I know all the apologetics or I know this or that or I have such a pure past. No, 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 no. We look at the sun and we look and we are empowered by the spirit. That's the only way 
you can be this missionary that God has called you to be. If you keep looking at yourself, you'll never do anything. And some of you need to confess that you have put yourself in a box to say, I will never be one of those. That's for special people. I'm not one of those. I know that well. That is a lie from the pit of hell because if the only way that makes sense is if you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you have the same spirit, the very same spirit that empowered Jesus to do all that he did. You know that Jesus wasn't just operating out of his godness every time he did stuff. He was actually depending on the Holy Spirit's power to do what he did. And so he's calling us to do the same thing, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's not calling us to anything he didn't do himself. He's leaning into the Holy Spirit just as we are called to depend on the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that is the power that is within us. I hope you believe it. And it's not something you just believe or not believe. It's something that you increasingly, progressively believe more and more. And I pray that we would do that. All right, so with all this, we talked about the, our pattern, Jesus, the first missionary or the missionary, and then we talked about our purpose. We want to follow Jesus' footsteps and continue his mission, and now we talked about his power and how we can do what we are called to do. And so what do we do with all this? How do we live as missionaries? Because what I've been talking about sounds quite daunting, I'm sure, for many of you. So let's kind of bring it home. First of all, let me ask you this. Do you believe, <laughs> here's the repetition, do you believe you have been sent to the world to be a witness? Do you believe that? Have you owned that? Are you committed to consecrate your life like Jesus did to obey that mission? And notice I said the word obey because this is a matter of obedience. This is not a matter of preference or optional for some and okay for others and mandatory for others. It is a command. You are commanded by our Lord Jesus to follow his footsteps. Either you obey him or you don't. If you call Jesus his Lord, you are a missionary. The pastor Charles Spurgeon from England years ago said it this way, very convicting. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. It's not possible. Either you're a missionary or you are an imposter. Let me ask you this. If you don't consider yourself a missionary now, and this sounds overwhelming, would you be surprised if six months from now you, wouldn't, you were in the same state? Six months from now, would you be surprised if you could go to the future and you're still saying the same thing? Well, that's just not me. I'm not a missionary. I'm just too weak. I'm too immature. Oh, maybe six months is too quick. What about a year? Would you be surprised? Flash forward a year, you'd be in the same spiritual state as you are now? What about two years? What about five? See, the, the purpose of this exercise is to reveal that some of you have put yourself in the permanent box of that's just not me. And you have quenched the Holy Spirit and you will never grow in that state. So if you are, if this word is landing on you where, where I hope the Spirit is, then you should at least say, hey, I may not be there, but I'm going to be God helping me. I'm committed, I'm concentrated, consecrated to get to that place where I'm living that identity as a missionary. Not, oh, that's just not me ever. That, that is disobedience. That's absolutely rejecting your Lord, what he did for you, and now saying, I will not do that for others. Do you hear that? 
Jesus has done this for you. He has come and rescued you. And you're saying, well, now it just stays with me. I'm not going to now give that to the world. That makes you wonder. That should make you wonder if you've even received it. The question is not if you're a missionary, but how will you live out this identity? See, every decision you make, if you own this mantle of you're a missionary, every decision you make, it's going to affect, it's a, the lens that you think about where you live, where you work, who you spend time with, the church you're committed to, the career you choose, how you spend your money, where you play, it affects everything. And you may think, this seems like too much, Sam. Some of you feeling that way? This is overwhelming. That's too much of a cost. I agree, it's a lot. It's your entire life. It's complete abandonment. There is no such thing as Christianity that gives God half. It's all or nothing. But that's why we talked about where the power comes from. It's only by the Spirit. Again, it is not by your own strength or your own eloquence, your own courage. It's the Holy Spirit that can empower you to live this missionary identity out. So let me talk about here are a few points on what to do if you want to embrace this identity. If you embrace this identity, what next? Well, one, you'll figure it out. And I know that sounds very, very reckless and cold. You'll figure it out. But the reason why I say that is because uh, we're going to go into more practical things in the midweek podcast, and we can read more books and stuff. But what I know is this. If you really embrace this as a reality for your life, you'll figure it out. Let me give you an example. If you were to get an official notice from the U.S. government that you are now an ambassador for the U.S. government, and let's say we're more uh, under a dictatorship at this point, and you have to do it, okay? Let's just say that you want to do it and you have to do it. And you are now the ambassador to the nation of Central African Republic. Now, raise your hand if you even knew that country existed. Dang, three people. Well, the African back there, and then <laughs> William. I didn't know it existed, so I, I, literally, I literally Googled <laughs> random, random country generator, and I found a page that showed random countries you can acquaint yourself with. I know nothing about that country. Now, the reason why that's important for you to know that I know nothing, if I were to get that notice in the mail that I had to be ambassador to that country, you know what I would do? I'd start Googling. I'd start reading. I'd be YouTubing. I'd be talking to every African I know. I'd be trying to eat their food. I'd try to understand their language. I would try to read books and manuals and go to seminars about the country and about being an ambassador. I would own it and I'd figure it out. Are you tracking with me? See, I'm not saying that we're not going to give you any practical tools, but if you really own this reality, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this, you will figure it out. You, by the power of the Spirit, with the community, will try to figure it out to live this out if this is truly what you believe in. Now, this illustration does break down, I know, but if you embrace this identity, you'll live that out just like if you embrace the identity of family. I didn't give a lot of practical things. If you really believed I was your blood brother, you would do something about it. And I don't have to give you 10 points of what you should do. You just know. Or if you don't know, you figure it out. Because identity is so core to who, are, who we are, everything that we do overflows from that. Just the same thing with servant. If you believe you're a servant, you will live a certain way even if you don't know all the how-tos to do it. So the first point when you embrace this identity is that you'll figure it out. And here's the second. Two, you learn on the job. You learn on the job. You may hear all of this and think, maybe one day, Sam, but that's not me. I'm too broken. I don't know enough of the Bible. 
But look at Jesus' model. What does Jesus do? He grabs 12 guys who are completely uh, nobodies, and all of them are very different from each other, and he calls them to follow him and do what he did. And they learned on the job. He didn't do like, hey, here's 10 years, here's a degree, and then one day you can talk about me and do what I do. No, he, they learned on the job, and as they failed, they learned. As they struggled, as they had questions, they did it on the field. And that's how they learned. And I think intuitively, most of us know that that's the best way to learn, on the job, when you need to know. For example, if I were to tell every one of you right now, for, sh- for real, this is for reals, that next week, one of you at random will have to do the Lord's, lead the Lord's Supper. Next week, how many of you would listen to whoever leads the Lord's Supper? Daniel's leading it today. Would you listen to him more than ever before? Raise your hand, right? You'd be like, where did he stand? What did he wear? How did he pause? Did he grab the bread first or the juice, right? Like you'd be like study, right? Because the moment you are anticipating or expected to do something, you, you, you fixate on it. You start to, to listen. And so if you view the Christian life as something you, you have to apply and you're going to be sharing this with someone, you're going to help someone grow in this, everything changes, right? You, you listen, right? You, you listen to the HR director the moment they say, hey, this is how you get paid. You're like, well, well I, I was sleeping, but what, what? How do I get paid, right? You listen because it's applicable to you. And that is the same thing for us in this life. You learn on the go. Pastor and author Daniel M. put it this way. In my experience, pastoring, leading, and consulting with churches, I've discovered that when you focus on developing mature disciples, you do not necessarily find yourself with an army of missionaries. However, when you focus on developing missionary disciples, you will always get mature disciples. If you want to be mature, embrace this identity of missionary. And you will see in no time you become mature because you're thrown into it and you have to grow. You either grow or you die. You learn or you die. You, you, you have to know your stuff. You have to be intimate. You have to pray. You have to read your word. If you don't, you will perish spiritually. You just, you just will wither. You'll fail. Maybe not say perish spiritually. That, that was the wrong terminology. But you'll fail. And so it throws you right in the crucible of learning. And so if you feel like you can't do this, take one step. Take one step in embracing this identity. Now, let's go to the third point. Second point was embracing identities that you learn on job third is this, reimagining missionaries. Reimagining missionaries. I think a lot of us, when we hear the word missionary, we think of like something, someone really like scruffy and maybe smelly and radical who just goes out to Timbuktu with like a machete and just breaking things down and sharing the gospel with a bunch of people that they may get killed by, right? Does anybody like think about missionary? That's what comes to your mind a little bit? Yep. Like one person thinks that? Okay. So I just made this whole, whole part of the sermon for nothing. No, I, I know a lot of you think that way. I think what, that way sometimes. While that is true that some missionaries are called to that kind of life, and I pray that more of us would become that in our church, and I don't want to diminish the value and the, the magnitude of what it's like to leave your family and learn a new language and lose all the amenities that we have. We want to honor those who cross culture, cultures and seas. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. I don't, I don't want to say it's the same thing. However, for the majority of us, being a missionary is being sent into the world and you're living, you're working, you're playing, and check this, with gospel intentionality. I know that sounds kind of a religious term, with gospel intentionality. It means basically that 
Now, everything that you do to your parenting, to your marriage, to the way you live your life in your neighborhood, to your work, your play, it's all done through the lens of gospel intentionality. You're trying to find a way, and this is what many missionaries do overseas too. They're trying to take the everyday life, everyday stuff of life, and how can they infuse it with the aroma of Christ? How can they live in a way that is distinct and a blessing to the world so that people want to know and want to be a part? How can they use it as a, as a springboard to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel to one another? And so if you want to rethink what a missionary is, it's basically someone who's owning the fact that everything they do is about Jesus. Even if it's nursing, or even if it's teaching, or even if it's mothering, it's all at the core of it holding up is it's about Jesus, and it's about making much of him, and it's about being a witness for him and his ways. And there's a lot more to talk about that. If you study something called BAM, Business as Missions, you'll learn a lot more about what that looks like. But we've got to move on to our fourth point, which is this. And this is one of the most important points. Utilize the missionary community, okay? Utilize the missionary community. Again, oftentimes our model of missionary work is somebody individually goes out and does their thing and then comes back and reports. But what I want to um, commend to you is another way of thinking about being a witness or evangelist to the world. It's the three-strand three strand evangelism. There's going to be a graphic for it on the screen. You look at Jesus' pattern in his life and it was integrated with others doing it with him. They went as pairs. And look at Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul's. He did it with a team. And so often we do it very individualistically. Here, here's a, something I want to commend to you. This is from the book Total Church. Building relationships, sharing the gospel, and introducing to community. These are the three strands of evangelism I want to commend to you. Neither of them are necessarily like in order. Like the first thing you do is you build relationships. Sometimes you just go straight for the gospel. And sometimes you go to introducing community. All of these are harmonious and they work. And I think if you can track with me a little longer, I know we're, we're coming to the end. This is going to be very liberating for many of you. Because for some of you, you feel absolutely confounded with this idea of evangelism. And I think this is going to be really freeing. Let me read this quote from the book, Total Church. However, not all of us are eloquent or engaging. Not everyone can think on their feet. Some people are simply not good at speaking to strangers and forming new friendships. One of the practical benefits of the three-strand model evangelism is that it gives a role to all of God's people. By making evangelism a community project, it also takes seriously the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in distributing a variety of gifts among his people. Everyone has a part to play. The new Christian. The new Christian. Hear that, new Christians. The introvert, hear that, introverts. The extrovert, the eloquent, the stuttering, the intelligent, the awkward. I may be the one who has begun to build a relationship with my neighbor, but in introducing him to the community, it may be someone else who shares the gospel with him. That is not only legitimate, it's positively thrilling. See, this is not to say that all of us not, should not grow in sharing the gospel. You know why I don't like sharing the gospel sometimes? It's because I'm a coward sometimes. It's not a gift thing. I, I fear man too much. And when I was younger, I used to be like just a killer in a good way. <laughs> not a bad way. You know, like in a slang term, killer. I, I, I just love sharing the gospel. I have so much boldness. And I've lost some of that after seminary. So, so should I now say, well, that's just not my gift. I'm more introverted. And like other people, I'm just afraid <laughs> sometimes. And so I'm starting to stoke up this evangelistic gift more and sharing it with more people in the last year. 
So I want to make clear, all of us, every single one of us are called to share the gospel. Every single one of us. And if you don't feel equipped to do that and you can't do that, let's talk and let's grow into that. However, I also want to take some pressure off to know that we are all parts of the body. And all of us have different gifts. And so some of us are, and I love this, I know one of our, our church members who newly got baptized said, hey, I'm not really good at, at sharing the gospel and teaching all this stuff, um, but I'm good at making relationships building relationships. I'm not weird like you guys. <laughs> and so she can introduce people to, to others and then get us weirdos to come talk to them about more, right? Like that's a beautiful part of the body working together harmoniously using different gifts. Some of you have a great gift of mercy and some of us have a great gift of hospitality and some of us are great with apologetics and are really nerdy and have terrible social skills. But, in the, but if you have that conversation because your friend bridged the gap, now you can start you know, busting out all the stuff that you know, right? Like, together as a community, we can work together to bring the gospel to bear. And then also, remember, fill, fill in the blank. They will know that we are Christians by what? By our love. And so as we integrate people into our community, they can see the way we bear one another's burdens and we love one another. And they can see the gospel not only in our word but in our deed. And they see this is the kingdom. Wow, this is the kingdom on display. And so this also depressurizes every encounter for you to feel like, I didn't share the gospel, Sam, because I didn't tell them they're going to hell and they need to repent. Sometimes it's just a word here, and then an encounter here, and helping them move here, and a cool experience here, and then slowly, over time, and sometimes quickly, depends on what the Spirit's doing, the gospel is being brought to them in a 360 way. And we don't have to feel the pressure every time you talk to them, like, hey, wait, wait, before you leave, I need to tell you, Jesus died on the cross. Blah, blah, blah. Woo, got that off my, my chest. Hey, pastor, I shared the gospel this week. No, no, we can all be part of the process of bringing people to Christ and showing Christ. Does, does that help anyone? Can I get a hand if that helps someone? Yeah, amen, good. That helps, that helps. So the fourth point is utilizing the missionary community. Finally, looking at verse 13 in chapter 17, why does Jesus say all this? Is because of this. He but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that us, we may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to have his joy. And so the way this missionary lifestyle is the way and path to more joy. I know it sounds, it makes you anxious. I know some of you, it sound, makes you sound fearful, but this is actually the path to joy. And sometimes to get to joy, you have to go through pain and learning a new way and reorienting the way you think. But I promise you, the end of this is joy. So imagine, church, if we work together as a missionary community, all of us using our gifts and sharpening each other in their gifts. And as we rub shoulders with each other, man, I'm strengthened in my boldness as I'm around Theo. And he just randomly starts sharing while we're trying to have a meal. I'm like, come on, Theo. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. I, I want more of that. And with some of you, you guys are such good at serving one another. And some of you guys are such good at just random conversation. And the more I'm around you, you know what? The more I become like you. And I start having your gifts. And you start having my gifts. And together as a community, we can reach the nations. Because not one person can reach all people, but all of us together can reach all kinds of people. As we work together collectively with our experiences and our backgrounds. And think about the genius of Jesus' plan. Instead of just having everyone come to a church, what does he do? In this, church, in this room right now, in our church, we have tons of schools that are represented. Tons of neighborhoods and offices and gyms. And families. And what Jesus did is he sent us to all these different places that we all could be a light and that we can integrate these people in these places into our community so together we can be a light. Isn't that brilliant? 
just sending us all out. I would love to do one day is we get a giant map, we put pins in every place that we work, live, and play, and how we can just look back and as we grow as a church, see how we're just filling the cities. And we're just, we have gospel presence and demonstration in everywhere. And I just want to conclude for us to say, thank you, Jesus, for not staying at home. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven's abode in the comforts of the Father's right hand and coming for us. Thank you for not saying, you got to come to me first. Thank you for crossing cultures and taking the pain of the cross and of suffering in life so that we can be his. And so what Jesus has done for us, church, let's do that to the world. As Jesus has been sent to the world, so are we. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this reality because at the end of it, it's not a list of things that we need to do, but it's what has been done. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come for us, and we get to relish in that now. I pray, Father, that you meet us now and speak to everyone. If there needs to be repentance, repentance would come. If there would be affirmations, would that come from your spirit? Would you just move right now? 